Please join me in welcoming Christian, cloud optimization specialist. And I'm not going to give away where he's at, what he's doing, and what he's been up to. But let me introduce Christian to the show. Christian, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, John, for having me. It's been a pleasure meeting you earlier. Yeah, so Christian and I had a chance to work and do some things together with AWS Fest, which is Optimize Your AWS Fest that we host quarterly. But I want to jump into this podcast. And Christian, we're talking about AWS cost performance versus optimization. And I know it's been a beat down topic, but the value of driving this home is really key. Before we jump onto that topic, how about you give everybody a little bit of backstory on yourself? Yeah, hello everyone. Hello everyone. I'm Christian. I'm uh, based in Berlin. I used to work at AWS here in Berlin for a while as a specialist solution architect for Spot and Graviton. Uh, before AWS, I wrote a tool called Auto Spotting, which makes it easy to adopt Spot instances in auto scaling groups. And yeah, after um, September, I quit AWS and then I, I doubled down on, on working on this tool. And I have a little small consultancy on, on cost optimization and, and optimization in general, because I don't like to just restrict it to cost. Um, there are so many other things that you can optimize. But now, yeah, cost is a big topic nowadays. Um, but there's also performers, there's latency, there's um, yeah, all sorts of things uh, that you can you can leverage in your business that doesn't necessarily have to do with cost. Christian, cost optimization versus cloud optimization. Here's my thoughts, and I'm going to give you my humble opinion on it. Cost optimization is under cloud optimization and is a small fraction because if you optimize your cloud environment, yes, it could mean that it's going to cost you more in some cases for a business application, but in the long run, it's going to save you a lot of cost. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and it's 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 exactly the same. So you're you're in in some cases you may pay more. For example, I, I'm thinking if you're if you have an application that you want to optimize for better performance, you may want to add maybe a caching layer to it. So you add an elastic cache that will add a bit of cost, right? So you you will it will not be for free, but then that cache can improve performance of your application, and that performance increase can drive, let's say, uh, um, dif um, differentiation in your in your business niche uh, compared to your competition. So you can get more customers, more revenue. Even if you increase the cost a bit, um, you, could, you could get business results much more than that increase in costs. And I think that's really key, Christian, talking about that is, Here's what happens. Everybody assumes that going to the cloud is going to save you a bunch of money. I'm going to do like for like. And if you think about a data center, and I, I think that's a real good example of you talking about the caching layer. In my data center, I didn't have this caching layer. I didn't have it available, or I would have to spin it up. It would cost me too much. You go to the cloud. You're saving a bunch of money now that your application's in the cloud. And guess what? I can add this caching layer now. So you add it. And now all of a sudden people are like, wait, why did my cost go up for this application? It wasn't because you're not doing like for like and re really seeing that you're now enabled and able to do more within the cloud and put more behind the performance of your application. Yeah. And also if, if you go to the cloud, once you move, you can also have much more knobs that you can, you can tweak when it comes to the sizing of your application, the scaling in and out, um, all sorts of options that you may not have in, in, the, in the data center before you move. So yeah, all that uh, can help you. 
Yeah, in the data center, you are limited to what pe most people refer to as T-shirt sizes. You're only you can only fit into these templates, and that's it. But when you go to the cloud, you have thousands of different of instance types available at your choosing, depending on your business application needs. I actually just posted something about it the other day with regards to what is your instance type from compute, memory, HPC. Uh, mm -hmm. You name it there. I think there was like six or seven different instance types that I listed. Christian, let's jump on to a little bit more around this cost and uh, the visibility around your not only your cloud spend, because we are talking about AWS in general, uh, being that both of us are ex-Amazonian. So congratulations on it. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about what is your approach typically when you're talking to folks around AWS, uh, cloud optimization, performance, cost optimization? Yeah, I mean, as a former Amazonian, I, I took to heart this um, um, working backwards from the customer um, um, mantra that we have in Amazon. And basically, I, I start looking at the existing spend of the customers. And then based on that, depending on what they have, Maybe I sort it by by cost, and the, the, like taking the biggest chunks of the of the cost. Um, maybe the bigger services that they they run, and yeah, trying to always tackle the biggest um, um, and the lowest hanging fruits. Um, and I'm a big fan of the eighty twenty rule, which is the Pareto principle. Um, so, which states that often you you have to tackle eighty percent. You get eighty percent of the results by tackling 20% of the, of the problem space. And also the opposite, You're, you may spend 80% of the effort just tackling the last 20% of the problem. So it's always good to see where, where it makes sense to invest and what kind of things to tackle first. And then at some point, if you, you keep iterating on this and at some point you get diminishing returns. So that's kind of the, the my, my, work style if you if you can say like that also in in the the way I, I i build my tools so i started auto spotting tackling compute and in particular spot because i've seen that compute was where i when i started auto spotting compute was the main cost driver where i was working at and then like nowadays we have we have public information on on the biggest um services that that um, that uh, generate the spend. So if you look at Advantage, um, they, they are a vendor in this space and they publish every quarter or so, they publish this report of um, like the top spend, spenders that they see across their customers. So what I can, what I can use from that information is looking at, at, uh, at that top of, of spend uh, drivers. And then I can, I can see, okay, I see that EC2 is, is one of the spot um, the biggest spend drivers. I have something for EC2 when it comes to spot, but I could also look into like the savings plans for compute and and so on. And then taking the next cost drivers, which for example I, I did for EBS um, optimization. There's also RDS in there where I'm looking into some building something next. So these kind of things like looking at the at the the biggest fish in the pond and always trying to catch that. Um, yeah, that's kind of my, my mantra. Christian, you talked about the 80, 20 rule and trying to tackle 20% and then vice versa, but 20% of those heavy, heavy hitters, those top spend, uh, services within your account to get 80% of the savings. 
and then vice versa that you can spend, you know, 80% of your time to get, you know, just 20% down. Um, so going back to it a little bit, do you find that this process is, and you can, you kind of touched on it. That's an iteration process is that is it's not a once and done. You have to continuously drive towards this. Do, do you find that most companies are continuous or are they just doing a once and done? I mean, it's it's never done. Uh, you could do one one off, like a like a spring cleanup, if you may, and you can like drive the cost significantly down. But then over time, just like your your house gets a bit messier every day, it it accumulates over time, and from time to time you have to do it again, or you have to do it as a continuous process. Just like like uh, tidying up your home, um, you don't wait just for the spring cleanup every year. You have to do it on a on a weekly basis or or so even daily right? um, to continue that uh, that analogy. Uh, my so, house daily, the kids, everything going on. You're always daily cleaning up. Whether it's and I'll give an analogy, right? So the kids come home, they drop their backpack onto the floor. No, it goes to a specific place. You go to your AWS environment. They spin up a service and EC2. They're not using it anymore. No, you turn it down and you continuously monitor this time over time. There's a there's a bunch of tools. There's things that you can utilize. AWS offers services. Uh, budgets, alerts, visibility, but it's all a kind of a culture shift and doing the right thing for your AWS account for the cost savings uh, benefit of everything. Yeah, exactly. So you can do it. You can do it. You should do it actually continuously. It's it's a cultural change that you have to drive throughout your engineering group. And yeah, they have to to internalize all these things, all the technology that, that they have at their disposal to do these things right. And eventually you move out and then let them do it. So that's that's kind of uh, my approach. All right, so your approach as an expert around, you know, not only the cost savings, but the performance around it, because uh, you worked on and you kind of have this auto spotting. So you realize that some of the key benefits of doing it I want to touch on the performance aspect. Performance is key because when everybody says, hey, we got to do cost optimization, they're like, okay, recommendation, you're only using this, knock it down to a T2. And you're like, okay, well, I can cut everything in half of you, like your performance to really suck for your application, or you can do the right thing and optimize for a bigger, more efficient instance, but it also saves you a lot of time and money. Yeah, I mean, what you can do is... is always um, reduce the size, but watching, keeping a, keeping an eye on the metrics that you have. So you, you reduce the size, but then it, as you notice that the latency, for example, goes up as you, as you decrease the sizing, maybe at some point that increase in latency will maybe um, damage your business because customers like your application to be fast. And then that's kind of the point where you have to, to see, okay, take a judgment call, judgment call, whether should I continue or do I stop here? I, I saved enough. And if I do it further, then my, my, I'm going to lose my customers. So yeah, that's kind of the, and you may also want to do it the opposite way. So you may want to optimize performance with a slight uh, increase in cost, as you said. So go, go a bit bigger on your capacity, but then if you get increased, um, performance that translates to better 
that you're serving your customers. Because at the end, it's all about customers who keep you in the business. Christian, when you approach a customer, a customer approaches you from an expert perspective and they want to talk to you about a couple of things. They're like, oh my God, I'm spending so much money on my AWS bill. I need your help. Do you educate them right away and say, hey, listen, there's always cost savings things that we can do, but in some instances, it might your bill might run a little more or you might spend a little more on this specific application because it's more geared towards the performance. It's all about business value and driving those decisions. Yeah, so when I when I engage with them first, I, I try to talk to them to see what's important for them. So like what are the like the red lines where I, I shouldn't cross like when it comes to latency and and these kind of things and also things that they they want to do to benefit their business so not just the cost but also as as we discussed performance and and then based on that to see okay i can do these changes and then i come up with a list of things that could be done also based on the priority that we discussed with the like the impact that you can drive and so on so it's uh, it's all all about uh, yeah driving this like this fine balance between like cost and performance and and see what makes sense for the business they have and it's it's a, a lot about how do i work with their team with their with their engineers so that they internalize these things i, I don't want myself to be seen as let's say i go there and i save the world and then i'm out what what i try to do is instead teaching them how to fish and letting them fish themselves based on some, some tips and tricks that I give them, but then they do the fishing and then they uh, enjoy when they catch the fish. And then that, that um, makes this process um, more sustainable over time. So you get them uh, to get more buy-in and, and uh, get also some of these, these wins that they can, they can um, um, be happy about. The quick wins are always important for everybody and every, all, the, all the teams to understand that this is achievable and something that doesn't take a very long time to do. How important do you feel it is for these engineers or folks that you're talking to to have the right training, IT skill sets, or even certifications? And this seems like a good time to jump in and talk about today's sponsor, Veeam. How would you like to own, control, and protect your data in any cloud, anywhere, including AWS? Veeam Backup for AWS is a native solution to protect all of your AWS data. It's fully automated, set it, forget it, within one platform, centrally managed. Veeam Backup for AWS is a robust solution from snapshots, replication, full recovery within AWS, granular file recovery, and including recover outside of AWS. Implement Veeam Backup for AWS today before you find out that your current solution isn't working. Now, how about we get you back to that podcast? How important do you feel it is for these engineers or folks that you're talking to to have the right training, IT skill sets, or even certifications? Yeah, I mean, it's it's important to know, like for them to know all these things, to, to have an experience about the cloud. If, if they don't know anything about the cloud, I mean, you don't have much to do with them. Uh, hopefully they know their things. Um, when it comes to the to the... To the knowledge, I'm a more of a big fan of learning by doing. Um, 
I, I'm not against certifications, don't get me wrong. I had a, actually a conversation about this topic uh, the other week. And basically it's, it's about um, when do you do those certifications and when do you start preparing for, the, for them um, in, your, in your life cycle, uh, if, in, your, in your experience as a, as a cloud engineer? Because um, I see all these people who have never touched the, the platform, the AWS console, but then they get uh, to prepare for these certifications, study the theory and pass the exams without having any practical experience with the platform. Uh, it's like having a, a surgeon who never touched um, a patient or uh, never touched the, 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 the scalpel or whatever it's called. Um, and then have you, have you sur done surgery? Like that, so so it's it's more on uh, first getting to get your hands dirty, learning by building things, um, and then after you've been using it for a while, then you do the certifications, and then you you have also better chance to to get a, um, a right, um, let's say, um, to to drive the, the right benefits of those certifications, um, and, and unfortunately there are lots of people who who do it the opposite who start just learn the theory, but then never get to build anything. And then they are trying to look for jobs. And then when they apply for jobs, people don't really look at the certifications. They look at what they have built before. So, and yes, it's it's also a bit how my past has been when I started to, to build uh, tools. Um, Autospotting was actually built out of my passion and, and uh, will to learn uh, the Go programming language and play with technologies like Lambda, because uh, Lambda and and, uh, and Go were just emerging at the time. And I, I was look, looking for a project to, to, to learn these things. And I have been using AWS for, for a couple of years and I just wanted to build something. And we were in this cost optimization process and then got the idea to build something for Spot on EC2. But then the entire implementation was in, like built with Lambda and Go without even having a Go runtime for Lambda. And there were lots of things like platform limitations that I had to work around as I built it. And yeah, I still have workarounds for things that aren't available even today in the, in the platform. So things like the marketplace billing for, for containerized uh, serverless applications, which is not there yet. So yeah. And that's kind of the, my philosophy to start building things, getting your, your hands dirty. And then after a while, you, you build experience, you know things, then you build, you start to, to get your uh, certifications um, like as a, as a stamp of your, of your knowledge, not before you start to do anything. Um, unfortunately, so I'm gonna. I want to jump in there on the certifications before we continue on. I, I I agree with you a little bit on it, probably about halfway, because how I approached my certification back in 2015, I think it was when I first got my AWS SA Pro certification, but I was only using like AWS for a fraction of the time, right? And I think it was was it 2014 I started, but I was using a little bit, and then I went. And I did the book theory of doing the exam. But when I got to a question that I didn't understand, I went to AWS and I built it, right? I played mm -hmm. around with it and I found out, oh, that's really true. And I went to the documentation and learned it. Now I did pass the exam on the first try, but when I went for my developer one, 
I actually failed the exam. And then I was building and working on a project for a company. And I learned so much throughout this whole entire process of building this. Actually, it was a migration over to AWS. I learned so much that when I started realizing some of the exam questions for the developer one, I was like, oh my God, that makes sense. I know that. I know the reason to mm -hmm. that. So that's where I agree with you is that my hands-on experience helped me pass certain portions of it. I think the certification does allow you a foot in the door, but does not prove your expertise in it. Kind of uh, really kind of solidifies that you know what you're doing or kind of doing it, uh, you know, the work that you're trying to achieve. But I think in both cases, it helps folks. And in the other cases, it's okay to wait until you actually have hands-on experience. Yeah, for sure. And uh, there's always this... this um the situation where you could you could start the certifications before before doing anything any practical and like unfortunately the way they are done it's it's just a theory exam with those questions hundreds of questions um and i think at some point i got the impression that the pro exams are more testing your your ability to focus and to read the full screen of text than than the actual knowledge but yeah yeah you have like it's, it's two hard... minutes per question to get to read this entire paragraph and you're like wait a second there's something here that doesn't fit and you're just like yeah. uh, uh select you know yeah exactly um and honestly i i prefer more if if it was like an exam like i used to have this red hat certification um back in the days like five ten years ago and those exams were you were in front of a computer building things. And I wish AWS was, was doing something like that because then it, it just gets you into this building mindset um, and, and gets you to, to practice these things as a builder, not necessarily just learning the theory for, 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 the, for the technology, which you anyway need to know. But, uh, but yeah, um, I think th they are mainly because they are optimizing for, for training the solution architects in AWS, which rarely need to get their hands dirty, or yeah, they, they, they need to do it from time to time, but it's not the, like the, the focus of the, of the job. So as you go as a, as a solution architect, it's all about knowing everything and having everything in your head and being able to give an, a quick answer based on a like incomplete information from the customer so that's a i think they are optimizing more towards that use case christian i remember the hands-on exam i did my ccna and it was you actually had to write and type out the commands because there's only one way to do it i think with aws even the sa pro there's multiple ways to get this done or to build something there's so many different services mm -hmm. uh it's a lot i mean there's you know, hundreds of services now, but there's different ways that others would do it. I think the difficulty there is that you would need a professional to grade each exam since it's not a one solution type fits all. I mean, it could be like you have a black box text testing for, for example, let's say build something that returns HTTP 404 or whatever, if you do some sort of request. And then the way you implement that it doesn't really matter as, as long as you build it and it does the, what it's supposed to do. I mean, you could then che uh, check for things like 
have you been using a Lambda or having you be using um, an EC2 or a Fargate to build it? But as long as it, it gives the res response, it's like in the real world, when you build a product, um, it, it, as long as it works, like the customers don't really care how it's built uh, under the hood, right? So. Yeah, I would put in some cost optimization into that exam because <laughs> you don't care how it's built, right? And you put it together. I would put that as one of your exam finals. Were you able to save costs on this entire exam and implementation? Let's find out. Yeah. That would be interesting. Kristen, let's talk a little bit more around the skills that it takes to do and take, you know, tackle AWS and not only the cost. We're talking about it. I mean, even from a FinOps perspective for cloud optimization or cost optimization, it's a culture change, right? You're coming in there and you're trying to talk to them about their environments and some of the things they do, yet you have others that might have been there a while or they're used to doing things a certain way. How many times you run into this issue where you're you're just trying to educate them that hey listen there's always better ways to do it here's what I recommend is there you know does one size fit all I mean one size never fits all but uh, there are a few sizes that fit pretty well um I can so... go with an XXX large that'll fit over me no problem <laughs> yeah so you can you can you have usually there are there are a few options that you can propose and then you can discuss pros and cons uh, of those options and then see what what fits best their business right so it's always coming back from from their needs and working backwards again um, and basically yeah you 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 can you can build the things in different ways but then. When you build it, then you see, okay, this thing doesn't satisfy those requirements, and then you're forced to do something else. Even if you maybe you have to compromise on some things, it's always the case. It's uh, it's not uh, an easy problem. In in some cases, you may, for example, you may have a an application that you want to optimize for cost, but then it's a GPU workload of machine learning, which is uh, it's really hard to do and. Yeah, sometimes you just have to take the hit and and pay for for the things uh, because it's it's inherent with the with the workload that you're tackling. So yeah. So Christian, let's talk a little bit about uh, we've talked the skill set. We've talked about talking and bringing in like an expert around some of these approaches. But if I want to do this on my own. Are there other sources or engagements or folks, or it, not even just internal, but external that, that I can reach out to? What are your suggestions? Are there communities that I should get involved in? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's key to to tap into the internet as a as a big community. And if you look at it, there are all sorts of channels where where people um, gather together and and then discuss these topics. Um, for example, there is this Reddit for AWS where people ask all sorts of interesting questions and other, other people just go and help them. And you, you should never go at it alone if you can um, get help from others. Um, try, try to do that as well. Um, there are also on, on uh, all sorts of platforms, like there, there are Slack rooms and and uh, channels for for all sorts of technologies where you can you can uh, um, go and get help if you need any any particular things. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, as, especially as a solopreneur, 
uh, I'm trying to leverage help whenever I I can because there's just me doing all these things and I, I I cannot do everything by myself. So yeah, communities are very important and having also having a big network in the in the social media context like on LinkedIn or or on Twitter. Um, even if you just have a question and don't ask it in a community, you may ask your, your social network. Um, and it's, it's always, you will find somebody, if you have a large enough network, somebody will have run into that problem and uh, you actually get, get a pretty good uh, responses from, from the communities that you're in. I think communities are key in order to do your best and not only within cloud optimization or anywhere around that, but there is a community for everything. From DevOps, FinOps, uh, serverless communities, you can join uh, so many of them to ask questions. Everybody's usually very helpful when to do it. And uh, Christian, you touched on it on growing your network, even socially. If you got a question, post it out there. Uh, even if they didn't run into it, people will ask some other ones. There are some cool AWS tools, AWS IQ. Uh, AWS repost is another one that you can go and take a look at some of the things, the AWS documentation. You can always follow Christian or myself and just tag some one of us and say, Hey, listen, we're, we try, I, you know, I don't know about you, Christian, but I try to respond to almost everybody on social media to give them some type of feedback. If it's in a message or what, whatever it is, or direct them to the right person. Yeah, for sure. And then people, Having having um, access to to somebody else's network also, people will just share it with their network. Like you have also a lot of people now are being laid off from jobs and they just ask for jobs and then people just go and comment for reach. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting idea that that you can help other people just by by joining their conversation. Because Andy, the network will share that with with much more people and you get them better chances of, of getting the, the job back. Um, so, yeah. Nope, I agree with you. So, Christian, before we wrap things up, uh, is there anything else you'd like to, you know, leave with the audience, bring them some more information or even a topic that we didn't touch on? Yeah, I mean, speaking of, of, of solopreneurship, like I was saying, I, I've seen nowadays all these, these things that can help you. And it's not just as a solopreneur, but in general, as a, as a, as a knowledge worker, um, it's always too, uh, good to, to look in, to keep an, uh, an open eye on what's going on in the, in the world and what kind of technologies become available. And I was uh, like very happy when I got my hands on this new uh, AI for, for uh, ChatGPT, which is uh, something that I've been playing with pretty much on a, on a daily basis and try to, to get it as a, as a sort of um, a helper for whatever I'm doing. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a trick that I, I started to use more and more for things like getting ideas for post podcast episodes or getting, if I write some content, getting it uh, proofread or report um, mistakes or like feedback on how the, how the text looks like um, as a, as a sort of a, a free um, editor that I, that I have. Because I, I don't have anybody else. I mean, I would have to go and tap to the network, but then that would be, mean I, I uh, disturb people from their work and I could just go and ask this thing, uh, like proofread this text and, uh, and see how, what it thinks about it. And uh, often find a lot of uh, interesting things 
that I was not uh, thinking about. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting time to live in, and we have so many things at our disposal. And yeah, it's it's good to to start uh, looking at them and, and and taking advantage of them as much as possible. Because yeah, it why not? It's a it's a benefit of the world we live in. I have not tested out Chat GPT yet. Uh... I, I'm going to, I have it on my to-do list. I've seen a lot of cool posts around it and some of the things folks are doing. I've never thought of actually asking it some, about some podcast topics. Hmm, wonder what it would come up with. I might have to post those yeah, like, hey. Actually, I, I, I started the podcast just uh, just a few weeks back and I, I, like, I, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't decide what to, what to do, like what to, yep. what to talk about. And I just told told it like give me a list of, uh, of podcast episodes on this topic, and it, it gave me like 20, 20 items, and then I could just go there and see okay what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, and even for one of those items you could dive deep and say okay this is the type topic that I want to talk about. Tell me the most important things in this area, and yeah. it gives you like a list of bullets what you can uh, you can talk about. And this is great for a, for a podcast. I mean, you don't. I wouldn't use it for like writing blog content because that's that's something that I, I prefer to have my own style and things. Although I see people trying to do that as well, but you could do it for like for like just um, getting bullets of ideas of things to improve, of uh, like proofreading things. So all sorts of of interesting use cases that I see people using it for. Christian, let me ask you this: When you put, when you asked it for the podcast topics, where is Chat GPT getting this information from? Is it reading the internet and reading what's going on and all the information that's out there, and then compiling a list? Yeah, I mean they they uh, crawled the entire internet as far as I know a few years back. I think it, the data is is one or two years old, but then. They they index all this data and train the, the the model on it, so it has the entire information of the of the internet in inside somehow, and it's interesting how you can you can ask it all sorts of things like even I, I live in Germany and I even ask it to write a, like an email in German to my doctor asking for like a COVID. Uh, vaccination. So you say, write me an email for my doctor and that I want to get a vaccine for COVID. And then it came with a perfectly written email in German with all the formal words that you have to use with your doctor and things. And you nice. can ask it in a very informal way. So it, it has all these things. Um, I was amazed when I, when I saw all these things. And there were people like doctors in the US, you have these, these doctors have to uh, go and uh, ask the insurance to cover some some patient information, yep. and I've seen I've seen a guy a doctor who was like, okay, um, write me an email for the insurance. Uh, I have this patient with this disease, and please justify this uh, cost of the treatment, and give me a bunch of um, articles of scientific articles that that I use as a reference. And it came up with a perfectly formatted email for the for the insurance that nice. the guy just copied and sent. Um, so yeah, it's very powerful. Uh, Christian, I'm, I think I'm just might have to try it out after this podcast. And speaking of podcasts, do you want to share with everybody your podcast name and how they can find you? 
Yeah, so I have this podcast on, on um, cloud optimization, which I call the Linear Cloud. You can find it on any of the podcast platforms out there. Um, I put it pretty much everywhere. So yeah, and so far I have just a few episodes. I just started it a month ago. I covered um, first episodes were about, like the first episode was an introductory episode about myself, my journey. But then I, I went dive, like dive deep into um, savings plans and, and reserve instances were the, the next few episodes. So I, I did a very deep dive on those. And the third, the fourth episode was about um, enterprise discount plans. And I'm going to continue these topics of cost optimizations with Spot, with Graviton, which are my main areas of expertise. I, I want to record those this or the next week and then like cover all sorts of topics uh, when it comes to optimizing, not just for cost, but as I said, also performance with um, yeah, networking and like all sorts of things. Because it's, it's all about this idea that when you teach something to somebody, you also get to learn it better. Yep. Um, so I know a bunch of things about many of these topics, but when I prepare a podcast episode, I have to go and, and dive way deeper and sometimes learn a lot of new things or update my, my information about these topics um, compared to what I used to know before. So yeah, it's a good learning exercise also for me. And, All right, everybody, yeah. you got to check out Christian's podcast as he's growing uh, more episodes, the number of followers. Yes, he just kicked it off, but I anticipate him and I will do another podcast later this year, recapping how things are going for him and including that leaner, leaner cloud. So Christian, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John. As always, everybody, my name's John Meyer. Thank you for watching the John Meyer podcast. Don't forget to hit that like, subscribe and notify because guess what? We're out of here.